Let's pray together. In this moment, on this Memorial Day weekend, would you take a moment, as Doc mentioned earlier, and in your own heart, in your own words, express your gratitude for those who died that we might live, for those who paid the ultimate price that we might have freedom today. Thank God for their sacrifice and their courage today. Would you right now pray for those who are grieving those who have died for us? Pray for spouses and children and parents and grandparents and for those for whom this is a hard weekend, a proud weekend, but a hard weekend. Pray for God's grace for them. And then would you ask the Lord to speak to you through his word today that we might learn how we could match their courage with ours in the service of a country we love and a God who is worthy. A God who is worthy of all that we give, all that we could give, and more. Would you make that the commitment of your heart today? Father God, I join these prayers on this solemn and significant weekend with such gratitude for such grace. This is our prayer, my prayer, in Jesus' name. Amen. I hadn't planned to say this, but I was thinking about Chris Tomlin that sang that last worship video that was so awesome. Thank you for that. Years ago, my uh, son Ryan and I were at a passion conference with Louis Giglio, and Chris Tomlin was the worship leader there. That particular weekend was horrible. I mean, torrential rainstorms, tornadoes even, and lightning storms, and 20,000 college kids from all over the country had come to a farm up outside of Sherman uh, for this event. They were going to camp out and all this. I mean, the tents got blown away. The place was two feet of mud. Kids were sleeping on the gym floors of churches in the area. I mean, it was a mess. I mean, the electricity kept going out, all this stuff, and finally the storms blew through, and they were able to get the conference started. And Chris Tomlin came out and led worship, and then Louis Giglio came out and uh, said to this 20, 25,000 mass of college students out there, he recounted all that they had been through. And I thought he was going to thank them for their sacrifice, thank them for hanging in there, thank them for putting up with all this stuff. And after he went through all that, he said, and our God is worth all of that because he's worthy. He's worthy, isn't he? He is worthy. And how grateful we are on this Memorial Day weekend. This is one of the, and Mark's summer, it's a celebration, it's hot dogs and football, and not football, but uh, hamburgers and all the stuff, maybe football. In Dallas, it's always football. You notice that the other day? I mean, the Rangers were on, and the Mavericks were in the playoffs, and the lead story on the sports was the Cowboys, because it's Dallas. Nonetheless, it's a time of celebration, summer, all that, but it's also a time to remember, isn't it? A time to remember. This day was originally called Decoration Day. It was originally back in 1868, a holiday set up after the Civil War to honor those who had died in the Civil War. It started at Arlington Memorial, uh, Arlington Cemetery, 1868. After World War I, the name was changed to Memorial Day to honor all the nation's war dead, now more than 1.1 million men and women who died that we might live, who took our place, and who died for our freedom. I was speaking to a veteran, this isn't Veterans Day, that's later, but a man who had been horribly disfigured in Afghanistan, and I thanked him for his sacrifice, and he said, well, let me ask you for something. I said, what? He said, make this a nation worth dying for. 
make this a nation worth dying for. So on this Memorial Day, we do this for three reasons. We do it to encourage those who grieve so that they might know that their loss is not forgotten and that those who died are not forgotten. We do it to encourage those who serve, that if they die in service to our nation, they will not be forgotten. And we do it so we can join their sacrifice, knowing that freedom is not free. So that's the theme today. We've been since Easter talking about how to know Jesus personally, intimately, daily, make every day Easter, how to have a daily, intimate, transforming encounter with the risen Christ. Today, let's close all of that by talking about the courage it takes to follow Jesus. Right now in your life, Jesus is asking you to take a step you haven't taken yet. If it were easy, you would have done it. It's something he wants you to do or not do. It's something he wants, someone he wants you to forgive or seek forgiveness from. It's somebody he'd like you to share your faith with. It's some sacrifice of your time or your talents or your resources that he's asking for. In every Christian life, until you're at home in heaven, there is another step on the journey. There's the next step. And if it were easy, we would have done it. What's the step of courage Jesus is asking you to take? On the other side of that is a transforming experience with Jesus you've never had. On the other side of that is knowing Jesus on a level you never have. On the other side of that is experiencing God in a way you never have. On the other side of that step of courage. So on this Memorial Day weekend of courage, let's talk about that. Let's talk about a story and see how it could be our story. So we're in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. Just to give us a sense of context, this is Israel, about the size of New Jersey, We've been thinking about Gaza Strip a lot lately because of the conflict with Hamas over there. There's the West Bank of the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, thus the West Bank. There's Jerusalem. There's the Sea of Galilee up there. It's not a large body of water. It's a beautiful body of water. It's about 14 miles long, seven and a half miles wide, shaped kind of like a harp. That's why it's called the Lake of Gennesaret, because that's Hebrew for harp, sometimes called the Sea of Tiberias, because the town of Tiberias is on the west. And that's the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's the Golan Heights on the other side over there. It's my favorite body of water. I've led, I don't know, 30, 35 trips to Israel over the years. A lot of you have been with me over there, and it's, it's just an incredible place to be. It's a beautiful body of water, and it's on that northern edge there, that northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, that this story happens. As it goes, Jesus sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea for, they were fishermen. Fishing is to this day a very significant industry on the Sea of Galilee. There's a modern-day fishing boat. 18 different species of fish in the Sea of Galilee. Species of fish. If you ever go to the Sea of Galilee at night and shine your flashlight down in the water, you'll see fish just teeming around in the water. It's an incredibly vibrant, beautiful body of water. A lot of fishing going on there. And back in Jesus' day as well, they call this the Jesus Boat. It was found in 1986. It was submerged on the, uh, not far from Tiberias on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. The carbon dating puts it back to the first century. That's why they call it the Jesus boat. It's 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet deep. Uh, Jesus didn't scratch his initials in it. We don't know that he was in it, but it goes back to his period anyway, to the time of Jesus. It's a fishing boat, back to the time of Christ, called the Jesus boat, appropriately so. In Jesus' day, this is what the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee looked like. There were 16 different fishing piers that have been discovered around the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. That's where the fishing is the best because that's where the Jordan River empties into the Sea of Galilee and all of that. And by the way, this over here is Peter's house right there. 
largest house yet discovered in Galilee, right lined up with the synagogue over there facing to the south and to the temple. That's the house of Peter. When you think of these fishermen as ragtag peasants eking out a living, you've got them wrong. They were very significant businessmen. They had servants. They had fleets of ships. They exported dried fish, which was a main source of protein, all the way down to Jerusalem. These are significant, very successful fishermen, uh, businessmen. And Peter has the largest house discovered in Capernaum and the house closest to the lake. He'd have been out here. He'd have lived on PK Lake if he had been around in our day. And so when Jesus sees them fishing, he sees them doing their job, a very significant job. Walks along, he sees them. They're casting nets into the sea for their fishermen. Says to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. All right, so Matthew's gospel is the first one in the New Testament just because it connects to the Old Testament because of so much fulfilled prophecy. Probably not the first one written, just the first one we read. And so you read this and you think, okay, at least I used to think. Well, now that's just weird, you know? I mean, I know Jesus is Jesus. I mean, I get that. But he walks up to these guys. Apparently, first time they're in Matthew's gospel. They haven't met each other, at least in Matthew's gospel. Walks up to them, says, look, walk off your jobs. Come follow me. And they do it. Just like that. You know? I mean, imagine someone walking into your place of business and saying, leave your job. Walk off. Come follow me. It's what it reads like. It's what it seems like. But that's not what happened. And not what happened. Not even close, actually, to what happened. So here's the story. Here is the Sea of Galilee again. Over here is Capernaum. That's where this is happening. Uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John are from the town of Bethsaida over here about six miles to the east, although they've located to Capernaum to do their jobs. Down over here is Nazareth, which is where Jesus grew up, right there. That's only 20 miles from Capernaum. Okay, And it's right on a major route of what's known as the Via Maris, kind of the Highway 1, I-35, you might say. The chances that Jesus and these guys didn't know each other growing up are almost nil. Almost nil, that they hadn't run across each other, known each other, seen each other, been in the same circles. Capernaum was the big town off to the east where people from Nazareth would go. Nazareth was so small it maybe had 20 families in it in Jesus' day. So excellent chance they knew each other. Plus, if you notice Sepphoris right over here, just four miles north of Nazareth, that is the Roman capital of the Galilee in their day. And Jesus' father, being a tecton, a carpenter, a stonemason, a builder of things, probably built a lot of it. And Jesus being a carpenter as well. And these guys from Capernaum and Bethsaida would have definitely come. That was the Austin of the area, all right? So the chances that they would have seen each other in Sepphoris. That's the theater of Sepphoris, as it is today, seats 4,000 people. Here's the mall of Sepphoris. Sepphoris had the mall of the day. That's some of the first century uh, mosaics left. That's how they decorated in the day. That's the carpet of the day. Very, very wealthy, very significant place. 25,000 people lived in Sepphoris. And that's where you went to town, was to go to Sepphoris. So again, every chance that they knew each other growing up and all of that, but you put John's gospel alongside Matthew's, and you discover about a year and a half before Matthew 4, 
Jesus is down at the, uh, I could have got it out and put it up on the screen if we had time. Jesus is down with the baptism of John down in Judea, down at the southern part of the Jordan River. And that's where he calls John to be his disciple. And John brings his brother James. And he calls Andrew. And Andrew brings Peter. And now there are about six in total that are following Jesus. And they're with Jesus when he cleanses the temple the first time. They're with Jesus when he turns the water to wine. They're with Jesus when he ministers to the woman in John chapter 4. Takes about a year and a half. Then they make their way back up to Galilee, and that's where Matthew picks up the story. Okay? So by the time you get over here to Matthew's story, where he says to them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They left their nets and followed him. They'd already been following him part-time. Now they're going to follow him full-time. They've already been in a relationship with Jesus. They've already seen his miracles. They've already seen his ministry. They probably knew him growing up, but they've definitely seen him in this ministry. Go to a Harmony of the Gospels, they're called, and they'll show you how to line up all four Gospels chronologically, and you'll see that John 1 through 4 happened before Matthew 4, chronologically, all right? Gospels aren't written just to do chronology. And so you see all that. It's not that they're meeting Jesus for the first time. That's not the point here. All right? They've already checked him out. They already know a lot about him. We're going to come back to that in just a second. They, have, they already have a, a lot of history with him. Now they're taking the next step, a full-time commitment, an all-in commitment. Now, it's not that their business has stopped. They still had servants that kept the businesses going. That's why after Jesus' death, Peter could go back to fishing back in John 20, because the businesses were still happening. That's probably in part how Jesus' ministry was financed, through those businesses that continued. But Peter, Andrew, James, and John walked off their jobs to follow Jesus full time in this story. All right? The story continues. Going on, he sees two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, in the boat with their father, mending their nets, called them, and they left the boat and their father and followed him as well. To this point, they've been doing both, foot in both places, been keeping their business and following Jesus. Now Jesus says, just follow me. And the courage to do that is what we're discussing today. You find this theme all through the Bible. I love this back in uh, Hebrews 11, speaking of Abraham. He obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. I love that phrase. You think about Moses. This is the wilderness of Sinai where Moses met God at the burning bush after 40 years as a shepherd, and agrees to go risk his life to face down Pharaoh. You think about the flooded Jordan River, and there's Joshua and the people following him, and they're called to step into the water, and when they step into the water, the flood will stop, and they cross over to the promised land. This is the Valley of Elah. This is where David took on Goliath, the massive giant, small shepherd boy with five stones. People ask why five stones. Well, Goliath had four brothers. David was ready to take them all on. The step of courage, the next step of courage. You think of Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the fiery furnace. You see Peter preaching before the Sanhedrin. You see Paul preaching even before Nero. You see John worshiping on Patmos. It's the continual pattern of courage, of the next step. Not because the next step earns God's favor. It's grace. It's because it positions us to receive what grace wants to give. 
It positions us to receive what grace wants to give. So how do you take your next step on this Memorial Day? Three suggestions. First of all, examine the evidence. This is not intellectual suicide. This is not Jesus coming to men that have never seen him, that have no idea who he is, and they leave the nets and they follow him. Know what you can know. Whatever your next step is, whatever God's asking you to do next, the courage that he's calling you to take, examine the evidence, read the scriptures, pray. God will speak to you intuitively. God will speak to you through circumstances practically. God will speak to you through scripture and reason. God is a God of reason. The Bible says, come let us reason together, says the Lord. Love the Lord with all your mind. I hate this idea that Christianity is intellectual suicide. It's the opposite of that. Examine the evidence. Do your diligence whatever the step is God's asking you to take. But then step beyond the evidence into relationship. No relationship can be proven, only experienced. No relationship can be proven, only experienced. Janet checked out the evidence before she married me as best she could, bless her heart. <laughs> Clearly didn't do enough diligence. I mean, obviously, that's obvious to anybody that knows us, that's the case. But then she had to step beyond the evidence into a relationship that could never be proven, only experienced. If I had to prove I'd be a good husband, we'd never have gotten married. I'm sure to this day, right? If I had to prove I'd be a good father, we'd have never had kids. If you had to prove this was worth your time to come today, you couldn't have come today. If you had to prove that's the right school you're going to this fall, you wouldn't go. You couldn't go if you had to prove it. You check it out, you examine the evidence, you do your best, but then you step beyond the evidence into that job that you're considering, or that promotion that you're looking for, or that new job you're thinking about, or that relationship, or that forgiveness you're supposed to offer or seek. Always, relationships require a commitment that transcends the evidence and becomes self-validating. Step beyond the evidence into relationship. They checked Jesus out a year and a half with him, but they couldn't really know that this was worth their lives until they gave their lives. And then last, when you do that, trust God to redeem your courage, because He always does, in ways you can't imagine on this side, ways you can't see on this side. This Memorial Day weekend, I've been thinking about Crispus Attucks, the first person to die for our country in what would later be called the Boston Massacre in 1770, the son of slaves. He had no idea, could have no idea in 1770 that he'd be up on a PowerPoint presentation today and that this country would be this country. These fishermen in Matthew 4 on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee could have no idea that they would become the leaders of the greatest spiritual movement the world has ever seen. And the 20 centuries later, in our own lakeside area, we'd be telling their story. So let me ask you again, as we think about those whose courage made possible this country, as we think about 1.1 million people who made the ultimate price that we could be free, how do we match their courage with ours? How do we make this a nation worth dying for? How do we live lives worth dying for? How do you take your next step with God? That next step of courage. Examine the evidence, step beyond it into relationship, Trust God with the outcome. So I'll close with this. This is a painting that uh, stands in my study at our home in Dallas. 
It's a little bit of an angle because I had to take the picture over the computer monitors that are in front of it. If you could look closely, you could see that it says WF Hall on one side and 48 on the other. This is an island painting. Uh, this is the island where my father was stationed in World War II. He was one of 300 men that were stationed there. Only 17 survived. One of the 17 was a painter. He made 17 paintings of the island. Gave one to every survivor. That's my father's painting of the island where he nearly died. 300 stations, 17 survived. Dad was active in church before that, did not go to church after that. And I've talked about that part of it a good deal over the years. I grew up with all those questions, all those doubts, all those intellectual struggles. Was invited to church as a teenager, came to faith in Christ, and from then till now, talking about intellectual, cultural issues is my passion, and I'm sure I don't need a counselor to tell me that I'm sure so much of that is my dad's story, you know. Some years ago, we found this painting up in the attic. Dad had never displayed it. And asked my mom what it was, and she told me, and hangs in my study there at home. But the part of dad's story I don't often talk about is what I wanted to close with here, and that was the call to courage. My father developed rheumatoid fever, rheumatic fever, when he was a senior in high school. Graduated from high school in bed we're told. When World War II began, however, rather than seeking a health deferment, a medical deferment, he enlisted in the Army. He was a phenomenal trombone player, actually was in the All-State Band, but rather than seeking to be in the band, which is an extremely honorable thing to do, I actually had an uncle that played in the Navy Band, but rather than do that, Dad served on the tip of the spear on an island in the South Pacific as a radio operator in the most dangerous place in arguably the most dangerous part of the war. And survived that, developed a skin condition he had the rest of his life, and never one time complained. Could have been angry at his country, could have been angry at what he suffered, could have been angry at his loss. The Japanese knocked out the radio Early on in his, uh, the time that he was stationed there, killed a lot of the men. The Allies, because the radio was dead, assumed everybody was dead, and they left them on the island. Two and a half years later, going island to island, they found my father and 16 other survivors. And he never once complained. Never once. There's never been a more proud American than my father. He was proud of his service, proud to have served, proud of a nation he served. And to this day, that courage inspires me. If he could do that, certainly I can do whatever my step of courage is. If more than a million women and men could pay the ultimate price, certainly we can take the next step to make this a country worth serving, right? So what's that step for you? Let's pray. Take this moment, just you and God, and identify that next step the Lord's asking of you. Understand you're not here by coincidence. You're not here by random chaotic chance that Jesus, through his word, has come to you as fully as if you were Peter, Andrew, James, and John on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And right now he's saying, follow me.
Right now, Jesus is saying, follow me. Leave the nets. Leave behind what you know. Leave behind what's comfortable. Leave behind what feels secure. Leave behind the past and even the present and step into the future with Jesus. And he will make you a fisher of men. And he will make your life eternally significant in a way you could never imagine if you'll take your next step with him. I don't know a better Sunday of the year to choose that courage than today. Would you make that commitment to him right now? Lord Jesus, thank you for paying the ultimate price for us. Thank you for dying that we might live, for dying to pay for my sin, to pay for our sin, that we could have eternal salvation. Thank you for calling us to join you in sharing the good news of your love and your grace with our nation and our world. Help us to do that more courageously, more sacrificially, more fully, more unconditionally because we were here today. And now, Father, I'm praying for one, if there's even one today that's not met you, that's not had that life-changing experience with you. If you're that person, if you don't remember asking Jesus to forgive your mistakes and be your Lord, while the rest of us pray, if you're not sure you've done that, it's not about being Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, coming to chapel, believing in God. It's a personal experience with God. If you don't remember asking Jesus to forgive your mistakes and be your Lord, I want to urge you to do that right now right where you're sitting. Just say, Lord, I ask you to forgive my sins and mistakes. Just say that to him in your own heart. Say that to him. Lord, I ask you to forgive my sins and mistakes. Tell him that you turn from them now. Ask Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of your life. Thank him for loving you and saving you. And now make a commitment to the Lord that you'll tell a Christian what you've done so that they can help you to grow, so that they can help you take your next steps as you follow Jesus by faith. Father God, how we celebrate on this Memorial Day such grace as this. Help us to make this a nation worth dying for. Help us to be people worth dying for. Out of gratitude for grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a great weekend.